We're going to do something that you probably haven't uh, maybe heard done before, but uh, to, to set the context up for this message this morning, I'm going to take us to Judges. Um, Judges chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Judges chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. If you don't have your Bibles today, it's absolutely okay. You'll see, your, uh, you'll see the scripture on the screen behind me. And it says this in Judges chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. It says, The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you out of Egypt and led you into the land that I promised your fathers. I also said, I will never break my covenant with you. You are not to make a covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You are to tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed me. What is this that you have done? Therefore, I now say, I will not drive out these people before you. Notice what God is, is not saying. He's not saying that I'm going to take away the promised land. He's simply saying that I'm not going to drive out the things that I said I was going to drive out. And, they said, and then this is what he goes on to say. They will be thorns in your sides and their gods will be a trap for you. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these words to all the Israelites, the people wept loudly, so they named that place Bochum and offered sacrifices there to the Lord. Today as we continue on in our series, Mixtapes and Love Letters, I want to speak to you from the subject thorns and idols. Thorns and idols. As we deal what, with what is necessary for cultivating healthy marriages. I named this, this message Thorns and Idols because of something that I've noticed happens in our relationship so many times. And that is not what we think it is. When it comes to marriage, I talk with so many people and I counsel so many people and we, we care for so many people, all of our pastors, all of our staff, especially when it's in relationship to marriages. And, and, and so many times when I've got a couple sitting in a room or, or my wife and I have worked on the stuff that we've had to work on over almost 15 years of marriage now, a lot of people think that the, the breakdown in marriage or the frustrations that are caused by ma in marriage are lack of communication or bad communication or, or uh, issues with intimacy and, and, and finances and, and baggage and kids and all of these different things. And, and that would be a part, yes. Those are some of the things that can impede upon our relationships. But as I, as I was reading this, this piece of scripture and kind of looked at what it is the children of Israel were dealing with, I started to realize that it was a lot like our marriages. The promised land that the children of Israel were stepping into was one that was a gift from God. It was one that was birthed out of covenant. Right? Did you know that marriage is not just about commitment, it's about covenant? Which is very different. Because we can break commitments if we're honest, right? And, and seemingly be okay with it. Like I said, we're, we're moving into a, a, a few moments during this series where, where I'm going to poke some stuff now. Can I be your pastor? Yeah. We're going to deal with some stuff. And I think for a lot of us, we can, we can be tricked into this idea that marriage is simply just a commitment. And when I'm done with the commitment, I feel like the commitment is no longer giving me what I want. Then, then I, can, I can move on from the commitment. And, and let me just pause there public service announcement. That is not judgment on those of us. That is not any type of mean thought towards those of us who have gone through divorce, are experiencing divorce, so on and so forth. I'm just kind of giving the context of what, what, at the grand idea of what God's institution of marriage is. Okay? It was one that was birthed out of covenant. It was, it was full of promise and provision. It was full of hope and destiny. Yet because of their disobedience and their lack of care, the land to which they had been promised was not going to contain something that they wanted it to. They wanted, they wanted this land to be clean and free of issues. Come on, somebody. 
They wanted this promised land they're walking into to be this, this perfect utopian place. But because they, they disobeyed in a few areas and they didn't take care of what God wanted them to take care of, what happened was is that God says, you're going to enter into this promised land still, but there's going to be a couple things. There's going to be thorns and there's going to be idols. Thorns and idols. And I believe that, that marriage is very much the same. It is a land that many of us step into seeing promise and provision we see hope and destiny. It's a land that is birthed in covenant and commitment, and we're all for that. Listen to what Song of Song, chapter 2, verses 10 to 13 says. It says, Arise, my darling. Come away, my beautiful one. For now the winter has passed, the rain has ended and has gone away. The blossoms appear in the countryside. The time of singing has come, and the turtle dove's cooing is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs. The blossoming vines give off their fragrance. Arise, my darling. Come away, my beautiful one home. Now, we don't talk like that anymore. For many of us, we're like, what does that even mean? Let's put it in modern-day vernacular. Arise, my beautiful one. Come away to see Avengers Endgame. <laughs> Let us get Mo better. Sneak it into the theater. Grab a few Coke Zeros and enjoy each other's friendship and love in a dark theater where I may make a move on you just because I can. <laughs> that is Song of Songs. Jason translation. <laughs> Some of you are like, uh-uh, no. See, the problem that so many of us face is that like the children of Israel, we fail to deal with the things that we need to deal with and work through. These issues that are dwelling in the land of our hearts and minds, if not dealt with, become thorns and idols in the promised land of our marriages. Am I talking to anybody today? Yeah, sure, maybe things are good the first couple of years. We don't see them popping up then. But as time goes on, responsibility becomes greater. The pressures of jobs and kids and money and, and aging and then kicking all of a sudden everything else in the world around us. All of a sudden what we didn't see at the beginning starts to pop up. You've been there before? And all of a sudden where it was this tiny little thing, this thorn emerges, this idol emerges and we didn't realize that that's actually the thing that is stopping us from enjoying the marriage that God is calling us to. And then what happens is they become more evident as they start choking the life out of what was once vibrant and full of promise. They begin ruling what was once submitted to God. And if I'm really really honest with you, my wife and I, we have thorns and idols in our marriage. We <laughs> <laughs> we don't speak from a pulpit of perfection around here. We speak from a place where we're learning through things. And I'll, and I'll never forget our first year of marriage where we had to deal with so many different things. And it was beautiful. I mean, it was awesome. Like, I couldn't wait to come home. And she was working at a title company, and I was, I was painting. And we were like ships in the night sometimes because I'd have early morning shifts, and she'd have later shifts, and I'd work at night sometimes. And, and we were doing this thing, but we were in love, and it was awesome. And so all of our conversations were about how are you doing, to how is your job going. And the biggest thing that happened to you today is that they didn't get the lunch order right. And all those things, like it was simple, and it was easy, and it was beautiful, and it was nice and you could do whatever you wanted to do. Come on, who remembers those days? Right, you could stay up till 2 o'clock in the morning. Right, talking about nothing. Now, like 10 o'clock, we're done talking. I gotta sleep. Right, 
And it changes, and then all of a sudden we're duped into this idea, well, like the romance is gone because we can't do that anymore. No, the romance isn't gone. You have three things running around the house that no matter what time you put them to bed, they will still get up at 6 a.m. Doesn't matter, right? Does not matter. So you gotta, you got to like make sure that your energy's right and the output's good. If you brought your kids into the auditorium today, I apologize in advance for anything that I said. <laughs> Talk about intimacy. We get married, and it's the first year, year two, year three, everything's good in the intimacy world. Right? Oh, it's getting quiet in the church today. <laughs> and all this, like, when it's all built off of feelings and emotions, and it doesn't matter what's going on, and, and you're, you're attracted to each other no matter what, like no matter what is happening in the world around you, no matter what each other looks like in the morning, it's all beautiful. And then 15 years into marriage, 20 years into the marriage, it's part of the schedule. No one wants to agree on that point. We're negotiating things differently, and our bodies have changed, and babies have been birthed, and all this other stuff. And now all of a sudden, there's room to see thorns and idols appear. Because all of a sudden we hold up, this, this idol creeps in that says it should always be this feeling. The idol of feelings, the idol of emotion. Versus it being submitted to God in covenant. And no matter what is happening in life, I am for my, my wife and she is for me. And these thorns come into play, these, these things that poke us and, and, and push us, and they start to choke the life and the vibrancy out of it, and you got to fight for those things. Come on, am I talking to anybody in church today? And so I want to look at what th- this issue of thorns and idols, and what I want to do today is I want to look at three truths that I've learned about dealing with thorns and idols in our marriages, and what it requires from us in order to build healthy marriages. Because show of hands, how many of you want a healthy marriage? Right? And some of you may not raise your hand because you're like, I don't want to be married. I don't want none of that. <laughs> That's fine. For those of us who are, who are either married or want to be married, sing, whatever, doesn't matter. You're, you fill in the gaps. I think we all want healthy marriage. I want to I be, be a church that is full of healthy marriages. Why? Because healthy marriages raise healthy kids. Right? Healthy kids change the world. Come on, somebody. Healthy marriages change the world. And they're fun. They're fun. Number one. Come on, help me out this morning. Have a shot number one. First thing is this, first thing that we need to understand is that what we do not prune back will tend to grow over. <laughs> what we do not prune back will tend to grow over. Let's go to Song of Songs, chapter 4, 12 through 15. It says this, my sister, my bride, you are a locked garden, a locked garden and sealed spring. Your branches are a paradise of pomegranates with choicest fruits, henna with nard, nard and saffron. Hey, singles, just... Don't, like, use these words as pickup lines. I'm just going to say it gets weird, all right? (laughs) Calamus and cinnamon. With all the trees of frankincense, myrrh, and aloes, with all the best spices, you are a garden spring, a well of flowing water streaming from Lebanon. This is what the the writer wants us to hear, is that marriage at the end of the day, Song of Psalms is this whole whole entire book that's given towards intimacy and romance and, and relationship, especially in the context of marriage. And what this writer is saying, presumably Solomon, he's saying, listen, marriage is a garden. It's a garden that has to be tended to. And when ignored, when left unsupervised and uncultivated, They become weed-infested and overgrown, stripping the life and the vibrancy out of them. 
And it's amazing how weeds have the ability to become so thick that they cover up what is beautiful and has been purposely planted. For many of us facing marriage issues, we can be tricked into believing that the marriage is bad. (laughs) The truth is that most times the marriage is not bad, just as the garden's not bad. You simply can't see what is there because it's covered up and choked out by that which should have never been allowed to grow. You ever done that before? You ever walked out in your garden? Like, my garden right now is full of stuff. We've been traveling, we've been vacationing, and I refuse to do anything about it. (laughs) Babe, what do you want? You want to get out in the garden today? No! I don't. I don't want to play in the dirt. I don't want to get in the trees. I don't want to do anything like that. I want to sit here with you. She's like, well, we got to tend to the garden. I said, I am tending to the garden. You. Not this one. (laughs) And then she's like, no, 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 no. By not tending to this garden, you're not tending to this garden. All right, whatever. (laughs) So it still has weeds. Um, uh, (laughs) Still has weeds. (laughs) But I went out the other day because our our sprinkler system went on. And uh, as the sprinkler system went off, uh, it was spraying water everywhere, and I was sitting outside on our balcony, and I was like, what is going on? Like, it was like, it was shooting, like, kind of straight up and not getting the grass where it needed to be. And it's the sprinkler that's right, like, on the side of the house sitting there. And so I walked outside, and I was like, what is going on with this sprinkler? And I went to examine it, and what I realized is a bunch of weeds had grown up around the sprinkler. And it was blocking it, and it was choking, like, the spout where the water can come out, and it's just like, everywhere not actually spraying what it needed to spray. And then I looked over to where the funnel is supposed to be going, and there is a massive brown patch in my grass. And what I want to do is I want to blame the grass. How dare you die? Why are you getting all brown on me? I know it's 155 degrees in Salt Lake City right now. (laughs) And I'm looking at this grass and it's burnt. And what I started to realize and what I felt like God just kind of put in my heart to help me understand gardening principles and marriage is that because I had weeds choking out the sprinkler, the sprinkler couldn't do what it was supposed to do. And now my garden was dying. And for many of us, it's not that we don't have a good garden. It's not that we can't communicate. It's not that we can't do all these things. It's that we have weeds that are blocking certain things from being everything that they can be. We got weeds, we got thorns, we got idols blocking our ability to communicate better, blocking our ability to do relationship well. Some of the hardest times in my marriage when we can't communicate and it seems like we're not gelling, we actually went through that this year. As a married couple, I would actually say, in full disclosure, probably one of the hardest years we've gone through. Lots of changes in life, lots of new moments, and what happened is because of the pace of life and all these new moments and us trying to negotiate new things and figure things out, we allowed some thorns and some idols to take their place. And there were brown patches starting to happen in our marriage. It seemed like Erica and I couldn't, couldn't like, match and we couldn't meet. And I'm like, what is going on? So I'm examining it. And we're both fairly good communicators. We're both fairly good talkers. And I'm like, we can talk. We know how to talk. She talks. I talk. We're good talkers. So what's going on? Why can't we talk to each other? It wasn't that we had lost our ability to communicate. It's that there was some thorns and some idols that were blocking our ability to communicate and water the garden of our marriage. Maybe you're not married right now. 
Maybe your relational status would be single. We're talking about this because we can take time now and do the hard work necessary to deal with our thorns and idols so we don't have to bring them into our marriages. See, pruning requires that we get out in the garden and search for the things that are not supposed to be there and clean them out. You ever done that before? You ever got out in the garden and been like, what, what is what? Come on, how many of you have been there before? You're like, you get out in the garden, you have your tools, and you're like, I'm going to garden today, yeah. And you get out in the garden, and then like me, you look at it, and you're like, what's a weed? <laughs> and Erica's like, that's a weed. And I was like, no, babe, that's got a flower on it. It is beautiful, and if it's beautiful, it's supposed to be there. She's like, no, it's beauty is a ploy for death. <laughs> so we're, she's pulling all these things out and hacking them up I'm like why it's so beautiful isn't that what we do with our marriages it looks good that looks so beautiful it's keeping everything together but what you don't realize is that it may look beautiful and it may seemingly be this thing that you think is supposed to be there but it's not supposed to be there and it's actually choking the life out of what you intentionally meant to plant 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Let's look at what's supposed to be in the garden of our marriages. Love is patient. Plant it. Love is kind. Plant it. Love does not envy. Plant it. It is not boastful. Plant it. It is not arrogant. Plant it. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That is a beautiful garden. So back a truck up to a nursery, put 1 Corinthians 13 into it, drive back home, and plant that in the garden of your marriage. And it changes everything. These are the seeds that we should be planting, cultivating, protecting as weeds and thorns try to grow around them and snuff them out. So the first thing we need to understand is what we do not prune back will tend to grow over. So we got to deal with what's growing over. If you know what you originally planted, we got to deal with it. Number two, every shot number two. What we do not drive out will tend to camp out. What we do not drive out will tend to camp out. Song of Songs, 2, 14 through 15, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crevices of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. And then watch what he says, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, for our vineyards are in bloom the little foxes. We took off on vacation. My kids told me just before we left, hey, Dad, there's a, there's a wasp nest underneath the table. And I was like, you're lying. <laughs> you saw a bee. Now you think there's this big old massive thing. That's my, that's my kids. And so I walked over there, and I looked underneath it, and sure enough, there was this little paper thing and two, two wasps. That was it. And I was like, nothing. I'll deal with that when we get back home. <laughs> two weeks go by. Two weeks, that's it, two weeks. I can't even do anything productive in two weeks. <laughs> but wasps, they will change the world. And so I walked over and they walked outside because they were excited to be home and they went to play outside and there's these wasps buzzing around everywhere, right? And so Shiloh comes back in and she's like, Dad, they're everywhere. And I was like, once again, you're lying. So I walked out, wasps buzzing everywhere. As I walked back in, they are everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And so Erica's like, well, you got to deal with it. And I was like, keep the kids inside. I'm going Rambo on this thing. So I, wa- <laughs> so I walked out, and I did the only thing that a smart male would do. I walked over to the table, and I just flung it over. <laughs> <laughs> and as I flung it over, I didn't even wait to see the reaction of the bees. I just and just ran in, ran into the house, and shut the door, and I'm looking like through the glass, and it's just wasp. And it was it was only about like that big, right? But it seemed like there was thousands of these things everywhere, right? And I was like, babe, I don't even know what to do now. They're flying around. I was like, the kids can't go outside and play, right? We're gonna have to sell our house. All this stuff has to happen. So I went to the store and I got the wasp killer, you know the foam stuff that shoots like 35 feet? That's actually really fun. So I got in the door and got the wasp and stuff and went out to the backyard again and I stood back and psh, I'm hosing everything, hosing everything. And I'm like, kids, you can't go outside and play now. Why is there more wasps? I was like, no, poison is everywhere. <laughs> Literally, I just closed my eyes and started spraying. <laughs> See, what I left was seemingly small and insignificant, but when I came back to it, it was much bigger, harder, and scarier to deal with. And I think this is what we do in our marriages. We leave things that are seemingly small and insignificant. Maybe it's a comment, a look, a behavior, a habit, a conversation. We leave it alone thinking that it's not a big deal, only to return to it later and find that it's now growing into a lot more. And it becomes harder to deal with, and it takes a lot longer to deal with it. The stinking bees kept on coming back. I killed the wasp. They built another one. Now I'm involved in a game of cat and mouse with bees. Now they're in this area and they're, and they're moving all these different places. And that's how our ish, that's how thorns and idols work in our lives, in our marriages. As you think you killed it here, but because we left it for so long, it's got grip here and it's got a base here and it's got positioning here. It took more extreme measures to deal with them now because I had let them go and did not deal with them when I first noticed that they were there. And I think that's how our marriages work sometimes, is if we would have taken care of it two years ago, it wouldn't be what it is now. But we don't want to do the extreme measures that we need to do now, because they're hard and they hurt a lot more than they would have then. What we do not drive out will tend to camp out. Here's the question I want to ask us this morning. What are we allowing to stay that is now setting up camp in our marriages? What are your little foxes? And if you're single, if you're dating, whatever that may, what are you letting stay? What are you putting up with? What are you seeing that you know deep down shouldn't be there, but you're going to allow it because, well, I've invested so much. For singles, this is a massive point. I want to encourage you to grab a hold of it today. And I actually believe, and hear me when I say this, this is not me being all like weird and like uber religious or anything like that, but I actually believe dating should not so much be about the fun as it should be about the foundation. Here's what I mean by that. So many times we put the fun before the foundation and then wonder why all of a sudden we're facing problems. How many of you know that it's ludicrous to go paint a house before the walls are up? No one does that. If you're a construction worker in here and you had somebody like, hey, I think we should paint the house before we put it up. We should decorate it. We should do all this. We just have a dirt plot over there. Let's just like pretend we know where the bedrooms are at and this is at. And let's just like set it all. That's, that's insanity. But we do that with our relationships. We go in there and say, let's just paint it today. Let's set it up. Let's 
Let's play house. Let's make it all beautiful, failing to realize that you're painting walls that are not even up. We need to deal with foundation stuff because when you have the right foundation, then right studs can go up and the walls can go up and the electricity can go in and all the carpet can go in and the bedrooms can be nice. And then, and then, Proverbs 24.3 applies. A house is built by wisdom. It is established by understanding. And then watch what happens. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with every precious and beautiful treasure. First, a house is built by wisdom. Then by knowledge, the rooms are filled. Build the house, paint the rooms, fill the rooms. Build the house, paint the rooms, fill the rooms. Build the house, paint the rooms, fill the rooms. Do all, that is the system of building a house. And for so many of our relationships, it's like, let's just have fun. Yes, have fun. But when we are dating, we should be the most concerned about the foundation. And if you say to yourself, I don't want to build a foundation with this person, then my advice is stop the relationship. (laughs) It's getting quiet in the singles group today. (laughs) He's married. And I want to say this to help our singles breathe easy. Can I tell you this, especially as a, as a Christ follower, marriage is not the pinnacle of our relationship with God. It's not. And we somehow set up in church that like, okay, the, the, the progression is go get married. Stop, don't do that. That's, that's insanity. That's, that's not the pinnacle of our relationships. That is not the pinnacle of our thing. Like God has so much for us when we're not married. We've got to get, we've got to reconcile this issue. Because I watch Christian singles all the time losing their minds in church Losing their minds in relationship with God because they don't have somebody in their life. And it's like, you don't need somebody in your life. It's okay to do your thing for a while. For as long as you need to do your thing. Follow Jesus. Get secure in who you are. Be the man that God wants you to be. Be the woman that God wants you to be. And here's the problem for the singles in the house. So many times we're trying to be the man or the woman that we think the other person wants us to be instead of being the man or the woman that God wants us to be. Stop chasing all the other opinions. Be who God's called you to be. And when you do that, he'd be like, hey, I got a puzzle piece for you. (laughs) I love these conversations. Last one, last one, last one. I'm running way out of time. Okay, sorry. Is this helping anybody this morning? Number three, what we, number three, what we do not dethrone will tend to overthrow. Second Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, for although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the, for the demolition of strongholds. There it is right there. And we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Kyle Eidemann states this in his book, God's at War, when he writes, what if it's not about statues? What if the gods of here and now are not cosmic deities with strange names? What if they take identities like, that are so ordinary that we don't recognize them in gods at all? What if we do our kneeling and our bowing with our imaginations, our checkbooks, our search engines, and our calendars? What if I told you that every Sin you're struggling with, every discouragement you are dealing with, even the lack of purpose you're living with are all because of idolatry. <laughs> Jeremiah 2.13, for my people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns. Watch it, listen to this. Dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. 
We have to be so aware of what is in our hearts, what is in our minds, what is in our behavior that comes from sources other than God. Here's the truth. Hear me this morning when I say this. What sits on the throne of your heart will dictate and direct the content of your minds and the actions of our hands. And I think this is one of the greatest issues that we face in our marriages. If we do not dethrone what is set up against God in our lives and marriages, it will overthrow the plan and the purpose and the design of God for our marriages. And here's what I've come to realize, especially because I've been married to my wife for as long as I have now. Marriage so many times is a power struggle between two people who have competing authorities in their lives. Healthy marriages are the product of first submitting to God, then engaging in mutual submission to each other. But we hate that word submission. Oh, we just room. Submit. I ain't submitting to nobody. <laughs> Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? I don't submit to you, you don't submit to we don't submit. You know, submission is not a bad word. It's not a negative word. Submission means to submit to a mission. Submission. There's a mission, and we are going to engage in that submission. It's the bowing to an overall mission. So guess what? In our relationship, we have mutual submission. Why? Because we're both bowing to a greater mission that God has ordained for our marriage. Changes the game. But we don't like that term because submission is such a hard thing for us to reconcile because we think submission is about this power thing and this dict like di dictatorship and men are like this just cosmic, I am man, I lead everything. No. Uh-uh. It's not what it's about. It's not what those scriptures are about. We've got we've to dethrone that idol <laughs> of pride. Mm-hmm. We've got to dethrone the idol of ego, dudes. Because we read this scripture in Ephesians where Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands. And all the ladies are like, no. Uh-uh. <laughs> you lost me there, Paul. Right? The minute you said submit to your husband, you gone. Done. 21st century. I don't do that. And then the word submission, it tricks us because when we, read this, when we read this, it says, wives submit to your husbands, and then husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. So a lot of guys interpret that as, you see, wives submit, and guys just love. As Christ loved the church, the ultimate act of submission. Paul doesn't use the word submission. He paints the picture with the life of Jesus. How did Jesus love the church? He died for it. If there is not a greater proof of submission, I don't know what there is. My responsibility as a husband with mutual submission with each other is to literally give my life away. So when I come home exhausted from work, oh, come on somebody, and I don't feel like I have anything left in my bones, in my lungs, in my mind, in my heart, I sit in my driveway, and they say, God, give me one more five-shot Americano so that I can go into my house, and I can be the husband I need to be. I can be the father I need to be. I can be the friend that I need to be. Why? Because when I get to heaven, I want to cross the line, falling over gloriously exhausted because I gave myself away.